All right, welcome to The Jig Is Up. Of course, my name is Darcy, and joining me, as always, is Jason. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Good. How's the man from down south? I am doing lovely. It was raining a little bit here, but uh, otherwise, fairly nice. How about you up there? Good. Another week of uh, no snow, so you always got to love that. Yeah, absolutely. I was in Saskatchewan. Uh, I woke up in Saskatchewan this morning, and it was uh, sunny and nice there. So, you know, unfortunately, I left the good weather to come to the rain, but... Still happy to be out of Saskatchewan. <laughs> um, Back close to the mountains. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So we uh, we got quite the flare up of uh, of east versus west again. Uh, now that it seems like a lot of the elections have have kind of dwindled down for all these organizing the cartel, we've got this flare up of east versus west again. It's like the the cycle that never ends. Um. And I know that uh, people were watching the APTN special tonight on Métis Identity, which I didn't watch, and I don't I don't think you got a chance to watch that, did you, Jace? No, I was working, and I just got home, and I was uh, deathly afraid to turn that program on. Yeah, I seen Daryl Lurie's picture on it, and I thought, mm, maybe I'll just hold off and, uh, you know, get to it another night. But uh, we do have some other stuff to talk about. Uh, the first thing I want to jump on is a um, APTN... Uh, we did a report on an in police investigation on the Ill- illegal use of Métis membership cards by people trying to get tax breaks and other benefits from their cards. Um, so this is not a new issue. I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past, um, but uh, and I mean we're both against it. I don't really know any Métis that's for it. Um. But it seems to keep coming up, and now there's an official police investigation. So um, I don't know do you, if you have any thoughts on that, Jason, or not. Well, I, I think it is good. I think it's fraudulent. I don't think that uh, major organizations of any ilk should be running around trying to produce cards to you know defraud the system. Uh, there's no Métis organization in Canada that uh, has a card that allows you tax-exempt status. So it is fraudulent, and the people who, you know, pursue those avenues and try to, you know, milk the system, you know, you know, through their Indigenous identity should be prosecuted. Absolutely, and, and I think that's, for me, that's all this boils down to is it's fraud. Um, you're always, you know, I've heard this, uh, you know, on Joe Rogan's podcast, he always talks about if you got a room full of 100 people, there's always going to be one asshole in the group. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about this. There's always going to be somebody trying to game a system or, fr- you know, commit fraud or, you know, something like that. I mean, there's, there's people still committing check fraud, of all things, for God's sake. So, you know, this stuff happens. It's unfortunate, but it does happen. And the one thing I noticed in the article is they, um, there is a specific organization they talk about who is designing their cards to try to emulate an official government of Canada identification. Um, and that, I think, on a on an organizational level, kind of is fraud on itself. Um, I mean, legally, I think, unless it's a government-issued ID, I think you cannot put the government of Canada on it. Um, so on an organizational level, there there is one that is trying to do that that I saw in that article. Um, so obviously, clearly, they're supporting this notion that it's all about the perks. Well, and, and so many things, and sadly, uh, you know, you and I both know, uh, it seems a lot of Indigenous identity comes down to uh, what you're going to get for it. And a lot of the discussion, like you opened with, the uh, East versus West is a, an argument of what you're getting and how someone's trying to cheat you uh, out of whatever you're getting. You know, and I think that's the real problem with this whole card issue is there isn't a Métis card out there that really gets you anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even the Western cards, really, what do you get? You get, you you may get some access to programs and services, and uh, in some of the provinces, you do have uh, like a hunting, like, like a hunting card, um, you know. So the, I guess there there is some benefit in the West, but I mean, that's really, again, that uh, other than maybe the harvesting rights, all those programs and services are very government funding dependent and they're not really, um, they're not something I don't think you can really rely on because they're so up and down with funding. But uh, but these guys, you know, they're trying to emulate it to an Indian status card and uh, 
Mm-hmm. I, I this it drives me nuts when people call that a treaty card. It's not a treaty card, and I think the misnomer is is it, for me what what I really dislike about this is it's it's propping up the myth and the stereotype that uh, First Nations just get this free ride through the country on this uh, magical in, Indian status card, you know, that shoots rainbows and and unicorns out at them all the time and. And that's just not the case. It is not a free ride. And uh, <laughs> those Indian status cards are drenched in blood. And so they're not something to really be proud of, you know. Well, and it speaks to the, the deeper issue, though, that we have these organizations, and it doesn't matter who they are in the Métis world, that continually try to issue cards that makes people feel that their identity is validated by the granting and possession of these cards. And I think that's where the real emulation of the Indian card comes from is that word status yeah. is that it's the, it's the government that confers and grants and, and legitimizes indigenous identity through the issuing of that plastic. And I think yeah. that that is a, a, a very dangerous uh, road to go and that Métis organizations wish to emulate that and fight about that and, you know, argue the authenticity of it really shows how colonized indigenous uh, Métis people are in trying to reassert their or assert their identity. Absolutely. And I, I, for me, I think a lot of this, uh, even the East-West stuff, it really boils down to that colonization. I mean, when you look at this notion that, oh, well, we need a card so we can get some benefits. That's a very colonized mindset. But even this East-West thing, when you look at these academics and the, and the bunch that surround them that are so anti-Eastern Métis, it's a very colonial mindset in itself. You have one guy who's not even Métis claiming to be an expert on Métis identity, uh, which couldn't be more colonizing. Um, And then you have all these other people that are using academics, which boils down to colonial education structures, colonial education systems, colonial education curriculums, colonial education books, and colonial record keeping, and that's what they're basing their hate for or their dislike for Easter Métis on. And I mean, they don't talk to elders. They don't, you know, they don't listen to elders. They know more because they've read books. And so all of this just screams colonization. And and the government's really made it this way. I mean, why do these people want benefits? Well, because you know, if there is legitimate Métis in these groups, well, for years and years they've been getting screwed over. So. You know, in some people's mind, maybe it's time that uh, we get something. Well, and I think you're right. And I think the problem is after so much trauma and so much marginalization that any any way that Métis people can get that feeling of validation is what we're after. And, and the fact that the government has so heavily propagated uh, and backed one position in the argument I think is is very challenging. So we marginalize these Métis people because they don't have that colonial recognition, that colonial backing, and then these sort of legitimizes one and delegitimizes the other, based on that 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 validation from the government, you know, which is is kind of funny to me because they're the ones who invalidated the identity in the first place. Absolutely, they they are the ones who created the problem, and then they're continuing to support the the problem as it moves forward. And, uh, you know, I, when you look at the, the, the goal of colonization, of eliminating uh, an, an entire race of people, really what we're seeing, in my opinion, on the East with this East-West stuff is what could be really the final nails in the coffin for Eastern Métis as far as colonization goes. Um, they've taken all the land. They've taken all of the rights away. They've and now they're having. They've convinced their, you know, fellow Métis that they never existed, and they've got uh, you know First Nations and and other Métis propping up this myth that you know no Métis ever existed out there. So really, they've just erased their entire existence, uh, and and that's kind of where we're at now. And my question to these these Western nationalists is, you know, they're fighting so hard to eliminate these Eastern Métis. You know, you can't go back 10 generations and, oh, that's a pretty thin bloodline. But what happens when the government then, the, the focus then starts to turn on, well, is that community in Ontario or in Alberta or in B.C. really Métis? 
And what happens then? What, hap- what happens when these same, this same scrutiny is then focused on part of that so-called nation? Well, I think it's uh, the whole genealogy issue is, is very colonial in its construct right from the get-go because it's not about inclusion, it's about exclusion. And that's a colonial concept where you have yeah. to be able to exclude, pe- exclude people from your community, exclude people from accessing and, and being part of the collective is by definition a colonial mindset yep. and, and shouldn't be part of an indigenous conversation. And I think for me, the greater problem that I have with this is it largely is contextualized, not even to the Maritimes, but, but to Quebec and the Maritimes. But it largely boils down to, again, we're talking about Métis people who are inside of a non-treated area. Um, and so it largely is a very alleviating position to the federal government to not recognize the Métis people in Quebec because there's no treaties there. Uh, even for First Nations communities. And so to have the backing of Western Métis against Eastern Métis to marginalize them off of any dif- discussions that may or may not come in the future about that that treaty issue and the right in the conversation to land has to be a huge relief to the federal government. Absolutely. I, w- I think it would be. I mean, uh, they, get, they get to reduce their fiduciary responsibility, which is something we've mentioned many times on here. And and uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I, it's uh, it's it's. I really always boil down to me as something that they're they're getting it done through the use of our own people, and therefore they didn't do anything wrong. It's uh, you know it's it's basic. Uh, you know, corruption at its finest where, you know, you have like the Hells Angels and they get all the little biker gangs to do all the actual crimes and get caught for them because then it insulates them against anything. And that's what you have the government doing here is they're pulling all the strings, but they have this layer of insulation, which we call the cartel, um, that's doing the work for them. So it's, it's it's a sad reality, I think. And I think for people to not see how this is just... You know, this may be the final phase of colonization for the Eastern Métis. It won't be long until that focus starts shifting further west, just like everything else. Um, well, I think we've already we've already seen this. Then this is a game that's going to play itself out for nationalists. If you're a, a, a West centric nationalist Métis person, the the fact that the federal government has been funding the Métis registry. And that number has been a never shrinking number of Métis people who are entitled to be within the nation. That process doesn't look like it's ever going to come to an end. This is yeah. uh, reductive in nature, nature, even within the membership roles of the cartel. Yes. So even if you are Métis and you're living in the West, you may have been recognized as Métis 10 years ago. And now, now the spin on that was, well, we were simply just handing out Métis cards to everyone. Yes. Well, so then everyone was Métis and then you're not anymore. Now you're just, you know, mixed blood ancestry and which would be, you know, you would have to fight for, you know, non-status Indian, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I and that's the language that they and use that, a lot. Go ahead. Well, that's the revisionism that's gone on in inside the West itself in, in the last decade and a half. So we're seeing the federal government's meddling in Métis self-determination across the country and and people are instead of people recognizing the federal government as the enemy in this we're turning on each other like rats in a sinking ship about who's authentically metis based on government accreditation absolutely absolutely and you know i i i know so many people that uh can't get their metis card here in alberta um in my community or have been refused it simply because of a paperwork snafu um, oh, well, you don't have the long-form birth certificate of this great-great-great-grandparent or something like that. And and it, it really boils down to, well, how colon- how much more colonial can you possibly make this? Um, you know, like, the, the essentially what the government has created by funding these registries is they've created a non-governmental Indian Act-style registry um, whereby we're, it is a purposefully eliminating Métis people. Um, and, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and it's, it's continuing to happen. Um, I know somebody who just sent in their application and got rejected because they didn't have a birth certificate. 
for some some one person in their family line. And it it's not even that she can't prove, you know, this this person married this person and they're the son or daughter of this person. It's that it doesn't matter. You have to have the birth certificate. So if you don't have that, you're done. And that's a very colonial way of thinking. And I've noticed that even in the West that the colonial mindset it was becoming more and more prevalent where, you know, people are like, well, I don't even know if I am Métis because I can't get my card. No, a plastic card never determined your Métis identity. And uh, and so it, it is. You're right. It absolutely is very prevalent in the West for sure. And, and that's the thing to take into consideration is that the, we've really given all authority. You know, we, the Métis people are supposed to be a people that, you know, are self-determining. And really when it comes to the issue of identity, it is the federal government that is in the driver's seat, both in the East and the West. And we're seeing it's reductive by nature because of, like you said, the fiduciary responsibility. The government wants to reduce its numbers. And because it sponsors the MNC and the cartels and everything, including the membership roles, we have to recognize uh, full frontal that it is the federal government that is behind these policy changes and the, the constant shifting of the definition of what it means to be Métis. You know, uh, and yeah. I think even in the West, we can see that the, the term and the definition of what it means to be Métis within, within every province has changed in the last 20 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right. You know, you mentioned the, the before when they used to hand out cards to everybody. And, and I, I actually did hear that a lot throughout the elections. Uh, a lot of people in the crowds that I went to events were talking about how, you know, oh, a lot of people can't get their cards, but they used to hand them out like, you know, candy to anybody. And and I just think, well, how, how hypocritical then is it that you handed them out to everybody? And then five years later, because you're getting millions of dollars per year, now suddenly you're the professionals and the guys in the East, oh, they're just handing them out to everybody. I don't know. I mean, give give some of those organizations uh, $2, 3000000 million a year to run their registry, and maybe they'd be at the same quote-unquote level as you. And uh, and and that's, I mean, that's that's the hypocrisy of it all, is they're, they're calling foul on the Eastern Métis for things that they've already done. Uh, it's the same thing as when they call out the Eastern Métis and say, oh, they're trying to infringe on, on First Nation rights on the East Coast, but they infringe on the rights out here. So it's very hypocritical. Well, I, I think you're exactly right there. We have organizations that are longstanding organizations in Alberta and the West um, for, you know, 80 years. And they've had 80 years of growing pains, 80 years of membership reform and all these kinds of issues. And we have these organizations trying to find their footing, trying to get some movement and some traction in a province like Quebec, which is highly hostile to all Indigenous people. And instead of supporting these organizations and understanding these are the natural ebbs and tides and, and full pause that are going to occur within these organizations, instead of supporting them instead of being there to help them grow and mature and, and create solid membership roles and membership processes, uh, we're here to negate them outright. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a fallacy. Yeah. And I, I think for anybody who's listening, I mean, if you, if you want a, a good idea of how colonized they are, I mean, listen to David Chartrand when he talks about how Trudeau is the answer to our prayers. I don't know how you get more colonized than that. Um, they, Trudeau is no friend to Indigenous people as much as he claims to be. And just because he's, you know, theoretically promising some money doesn't make him the answer to, you know, Métis prayers or anybody else's prayers. Um, so I, I think that's a really good example of how just how colonized the leaders of these organizations are, which then funnels down into the organizations themselves. Um. But well, and I, I think that's exactly right. And you, when you're looking at, at how colonized uh, a lot of these Métis leadership is within the cartel, one only has to remember that it was uh, Chartrand himself and the Manitoba Métis Federation who told regional chief that uh, in Manitoba that he didn't own the land in response to uh, putting in a pipeline. Absolutely. Yeah, and they si- they're signing energy deals and pipeline deals. I mean, you've seen them support the pipeline when all there was a bunch of First Nations that said no. And then in the end, it was the the courts decided that the government didn't do proper uh, consultation. 
So they didn't read the document. They just supported it because Trudeau's our our Jesus, for God's sakes. Um, Now, going Mm -hmm. back to this this investigation on the cards, um, I did want to read a quote from the Métis Federation Canada's website because I wanted to make, make it very clear for people what they were saying about these cards. And their quote on their fa- from their Facebook page was that they said, uh, just a reminder, Métis people pay tax. Our cards should never be used other than to identify as Métis. So that's kind of their official line on that. Because there was, a re- in the report, there was a mention that there was people paying anywhere from $40 to $1,000 for these cards and for false DNA tests saying they were indigenous and all this stuff. Which says to me that there might be some organizations that are trying to game the system, but there's also organizations whose maybe cards have been, you know, modified or or used or, or bought illegally that were being used for this purpose and not necessarily reflects on the organization. So, But I think it also speaks right to the heart intent of... A lot of the people obtaining these cards, they think by being uh, obtaining this validation of their identity that they're entitled to to something in the system. Yeah, I, I think that's a falsity. If I think your indigenous identity is nothing more than a way to get a financial uh, up in the world, that you really need to take stock of what it means to be indigenous. Absolutely, absolutely, and. Uh... I do think, like, they, they had this one organization. I won't, I can't remember the name, and I won't say it anyway. But, uh, and this organization, they, they, I, th- I think there's allegations that they were using DNA tests to show you were, you know, Native American. And um, and that's how they were giving out cards. And then they, they looked into the DNA company, and apparently they were just, for an extra 500 bucks or whatever, you could just get whatever you wanted to, to say. Um, and so is there, there, I think there is some fraud going on there, for sure. Um, not just even on the member level. I think there is probably, you know, I'm going to say probably one, maybe even two organizations that that were actively trying to, to do this. Whether it's out of anger at the government and saying, you know, F you, we're going to do whatever we want. Or just a bunch of non-Indigenous trying to get the benefits. But, um, but it's interesting on the least. So... It is interesting, and I think it's really funny. I know, you know, we've been at this quite a while, and we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum in a lot of ways. Uh, that yeah. being maintained in this country doesn't get you anything. No. You know, you can come to Alberta, where you can go down to the M&A office, and they offer, you know, job training, and a few employment opportunities, and maybe a few bursaries for school. But really, other than that, they don't have anything for you. Um, yeah. As a, as a Métis person, so... Yeah. Um, trying to gain the system as a Métis person specifically, to me, is always a, a very good laugh because I don't know what they're trying to get or what they think Métis people do get. You know, And yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you're talking about what First Nations uh, get for their, their uh, plastic status card, you know, is, is uh, no gravy train. Yeah. So I, I think, again, for me, it comes back to the fact that being Indigenous has to be more then what kind of program services, funding, education, gravy train you think the federal government is rolling out to Indigenous people? If it's about what the federal government is going to give you as an Indigenous person, that's what Indigenous identity means. I think then we've largely lost the plot and have gone down a very, very bad road. Well, and that's just it. And, uh, you know, again, I think it's very hypocritical for these, uh, you know, Eastern or Western nationalists that... uh, they they turn to the eastern as though they're the the fraudulent ones. But what what is the, I guess what is the main role of the, these so called cartel governments? I mean, they're programs and services providers. Um, that that's all they do. I mean, you look here in Alberta and and they spend more on stationery than they do on cultural events. Uh, you look at the engagement on the voting. You look at the engagement at events. You look at how little events are going on, how, you know, in a city like Calgary, you can't get fiddle or jig lessons or like there's no monthly socials. There's no, there's just nothing happening. So if you're an indigenous government and your job is to protect and, and, and strengthen that culture, um, 
and yes, you might be also a program and service provider, but I think the core focus should be strengthening your culture and your language and 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 really building that. And that that is just not what's happening. It's about money. It's about deals. Exactly. And it boils down to how do you have an indigenous government that does nothing for the land and the water, does nothing to work in unity with other First Nations communities or indigenous peoples in this country? How How is it that we're so segregated as Métis people that we superimpose ourselves on top of other indigenous communities? We sign resource extraction deals in other indigenous communities' territories yeah. with no regard to how that impacts them. And then we that's where these nationalists drive me crazy is you want to talk about indigenous identity. I think you forfeit your indigenous identity if you're willing to say that the Métis people's rights supersede the rights of a First Nations community to resource extraction. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And 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 in today's day and age, when you look at the real problems facing indigenous people in Canada, uh the Canada's still trying to get the land, what's left of the land, the point zero two percent or whatever it is that the First Nations and Inuit still have and Metis. Um but the the like it's all about resources and money. That is the today's currency, and you know these guys will sign any deals. They'll they'll bow to any government as long as they're getting paid, and that that is simply not. I don't think the the you know the long term vision that uh, Louis Riel and his his provisional government had for Métis people was to be simply bank account holders for government funds and provide a medium amount of services. And programs, um, but yeah, they, they've they've kind of forfeited everything on for a dollar. And well, and I think that really needs to be the the conversation that is brought to task when you're talking about the Métis identity and nationalistic thing. That's where it is reductive. Métis nationalists want to reduce the conversation down to identity and how being a Métis nationalist within the MNC structure is how the only valid way to be authentically Métis. But then at the same time, if that was a factual, if that was true, then look at the responsibility that should come with that. And so you can't say as a Métis nationalist to everyone else, you're the only person who's authentically Métis, but then completely opt out of any responsibility to that nationalistic hold for what that government is doing. Yeah. So you can't tell me you're authentically Métis and I'm not, but hey, my Métis government, which is signing pipeline deals, resource extraction deals, you know, harvesting deals that are unequitable with our First Nations cousins and have no regard for the land or the water, you know, you both, oh, hey, you can't hold me accountable for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, you know, they, they walk a very thin line and, and they, I don't think they even realize how thin that line is. Um, you know, there's, I, I have no problem in people being, you know, proud to be Red River Métis or, or from wherever they're from. There's a difference though between pride and, and this nationalism, which is very aggressive and very, what I think should be troubling to anybody because they paint everybody with one brush and, okay, okay, so let's say they totally negate Eastern Métis. Well, then who's next? Because some of these guys got to sell more books. They still got bills to pay. So who's next on their hit list? And I've already well, seen them target First Nations people. They've targeted uh, Métis elders who are more Red River than you can imagine and have probably forgotten more about being Métis than they, these people will ever know from reading books. But they've already turned on their own. They've turned on First Nations and Métis elders and other Métis so it's only like who's the next target after the Eastern Métis, and and that really, when you look at this whole agenda of of Métis validation of identity, is really I think a crisis of what does it mean to be Métis for these cardholders? Because the one conversation they never want to have is with the Métis in the Northwest Territories. Yes. How 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 can those people be recognized by the same government as authentically Métis with you know rights to land? How yep. can they have that that authenticity by the same government who gives the MNC its authenticity if they're not from Red River, if they're not part of that that nationalistic uh, council? 
Absolutely. And that, that is another great point. I mean, you do have other Métis. So then is that the next target for these nationalists? Well, they're, they're not Red River based, so let's get rid of them. I mean, it just it just never well, it's ends. It's going to be very hard because the, the validation, it's going to be hard to do that because the validation that they have for their own identity comes from the federal government and the federal government's already recognized yeah. the Métis in the Northwest. So this is where this, this argument about identity really falls apart and why I don't buy into it is because it, it, you have to be able to make it hold water um, and it doesn't. You know, it doesn't pass the smell test. And I don't care how many times LaRue gets on, you know, APTN to talk about Métis identity. It doesn't make it right. Well, absolutely. I mean, and that's a, you know, I, my biggest problem with that that right there as a side note is that he's not even Métis. So why has he got any airtime is beyond me. But but it, it's absolutely true. I mean, uh, <laughs> the, the it's, a, it's a very hard argument to support. And really what they do is they rely on being the loudest, most, and and confrontational, and mob mentality, and and you know they're, I I mean you think you've seen more of this on Twitter than I have, but I I know that they're going after David Bouchard, calling him the next Joseph Boyden, and it's like man, <laughs> that that doesn't hold water, like it doesn't even hold up, like. When Joseph Boyden was asked, he was kind of going, well, I think uh, somewhere back in my line, there's, uh, I think, someone who's indigenous. I mean, David Bouchard, is it's kind of been proven over and over and over and over again. I mean, so, but again, they're starting, you know, they're attacking truly indigenous people for their their agenda. Well, and and it boils down to that whole fact that... uh, if the if the criteria for being Métis changes within the MNC structure, at any yeah. time they want to shift the sand a little bit so that the definition changes, and you get caught outside the current parameters, then somehow you were fraudulent. Yes. And we don't look at the fact that we can historically prove that the, the definition of Métis has changed in 20 years. Absolutely. So this is a, a colonial structure. It is a colonial fraud being perpetrated on Métis people. And instead of calling a spade a spade and recognizing that the federal government's fingers in these registries is reductive in nature, and we point the finger firmly at the federal government in meddling in our self-determination about identity, we have these nationalists, you know, who are are politically driven to come out and rail against de-enrolled people. Yeah. You know, and, and we look at this, and we get people jumping on the bandwagon for lack of information, I really believe, because the reality is it's not true. You can't de-enroll someone from your organization because you changed the criteria and then you know, and then bash them that somehow they were the ones who are fraudulent. Absolutely. Well, as far as I remember, his paperwork was put in. It was valid at the time. They granted him a card. Then they change the policy. They review it. His membership is revoked because now his paperwork no longer meets the new criteria. But somehow in that conversation, his identity, his ethnicity, his meatiness, if you like, is now in question. Yeah. So we've completely succumbed to Indian Act where we say the Indian Act rules apply to Métis people because you're not Métis enough. Yes. Yeah, and... So that's, yeah, that's how a, long till now when the national, how long till the national cartel then comes to say, well, you've married out too many times as a Métis person. You're no longer Métis. Exactly. And, and, uh, that's a great, uh, tie to the two of them. I mean, that is exactly what the Indian act is. It's reductive. That's exactly what these registries are. That's exactly what these nationalists are, are championing is the reductive Métis identity. And, uh, I mean, if they're willing to attack people, uh, and I have one great example of them attacking, you know, somebody who was born in, in the Batoche area, grew up at Batoche, is no doubt Métis his whole life, you know, more so Métis than some 23-year-old who, in, while he's in school, learns, oh, I'm Métis, and then reads a book or two, and is now an expert on it. Uh, they, they attack anybody. They they have no recourse whatsoever, or they have no qualms about it, whatever whatsoever. And and again, they go they they fight about this. You know, well, if you don't have the right card, then you're not Métis. Well, 
that's a very, very, very colonial thing. And and you know, they all cry that if you're too many generations out from your indigenous bloodline, that well, then you just can't simply can't be Métis. Even though that kind of is exactly why the term Métis was even started and picked, chosen as a word to use. But uh, how long until they are are finished out, like you said? How long till they've thinned out the bloodline too much? It's only a matter of time. Well, and that's the whole problem I have with this is if your generations and you can count them back for 100 years and you have kept your stories and you've kept your culture and you've kept that legacy alive, what does time have to do with it? How What does generations have to do with it? Last time I looked, Indigenous people used to be proud of that. They used to be able to, proud to be able to name their ancestors. Yes. You know, we were, we were always about seven generations back, you know. Mm-hmm. Seven different generations forward, yeah. and yet now that's being used as a weapon. It's always, it's too far back. Yeah, and well, so you can't be authentically indigenous if you have to go too far back. Well, and and we've totally uh, they they're totally negating any oral histories, any family stories, anything like that, and saying, well, yeah, that's great. You might have a, f- a fantastic story, and might sell lots of books, but if you don't have the right paperwork, you you just simply can't possibly be Métis. Um, and, and that's, that's what they're doing. And it's, it's very, to me, it's very concerning, but when you look at the apathy within these organizations and I mean, they get 10% turnout to vote if they're lucky, um, you know, in Manitoba, they didn't even get anybody to run against Chartrand for president. He just got acclaimed. Um, and I, I think they've driven people so far away from it that it doesn't matter anymore. They can just do whatever they want because they're. 2,500 supporters is all they need, you know? Um, well, then I think that's really what this boils down to when we're talking about a nationalistic viewpoint is it's political. Yeah, it has nothing to do with um, the only time Métis-ness comes up in the conversation is to negate one's identity versus someone else's and how someone's more authentic than another, only really because at the end of the day of their political affiliation with one of these organizations. Absolutely. You know, uh, there are people, there are people I know who qualify hands down today right now could qualify for a membership in the MA of Alberta um, and would be recognized as Métis, but choose not to because they don't support the structure. Yep. And to me that, that really is telling because are they less Métis then? Yeah. Well, is there, is there Métis identity then not really valid? Is their claim to Métis identity not valid because they don't have that card? If you're a nationalist, yes, they're not Métis, you know? Yeah, that's the whole point is from the nationalistic point of view, what we see on social media is that's absolutely right. No, they're not Métis because they haven't done the paperwork to become part of the nation. And if you're not part of the nation, then you're not Métis. Exactly. Well, and, and I, you know, I uh, heard comments after the last election here in Alberta that, um, that I'm, and I'm talking Métis national election, that there was people telling me, uh, you know what, I, because of who got voted in, they just uh, they they told me outright they were just they're gonna walk away, they're they're done. They've they've tried enough and they don't even understand what what this organization is for anymore or what they're supposed to do. So they're just walking away. So are they are they did they did they hand in their Métis blood? Did they like I don't know if there is there a place they go and they get like a transfusion and it sucks all that Métis blood out of them? I don't I don't know, but. Yeah, once once the uh, expiry date is up on your card and uh, you, you don't renew it, I guess uh, you're no longer Métis. Well, uh, one of the most famous example of that is uh, Christy Belcourt. She turned in her cards. She asked them to remove her and her her daughter from the list uh, of membership. So she's no longer Métis. She gave up all her Métis. <laughs> and yet she's still heralded she's no as... longer part of the... the yeah, yeah, but she's still heralded she's as She's authentically a Métis. Métis, but she revoked, yeah, revoked her Métis, yeah. Yeah, so is she not a Métis artist anymore? I guess not anymore. She can't be, right? Which And that's the ridiculousness of what these guys are saying. Um, and for those listening, I want to make it clear, that's not how Jason and I feel. That's the ridiculousness of what these guys are saying is that, you know, and and I think for me the hardest part of, of this is, is the, how they don't see what the government has done for the past 500 years on this land. 
And there's no taking that into account as to um, this Métis identity. So one of the things they like to prop up is that you need to have an identified Métis community. Well, that was really hard to do when the British and French governments weren't allowing Métis people to be part of any government. They weren't allowing any Métis or half-breeds or whatever they called them to form a community or to be on even a, a community council. So how do you build a community when you're not allowed to? And and there's there's lots of examples of that. And I just that's one of the probably the biggest things for me that they they don't actually take into account the effects that colonization has had over the last 500 years and you know how how much further down the road of colonization the people in the east really are because they were the first contact. Well and and you add to that, I mean, so we're talking about historical Métis communities that, that add validation to your Métis claim, right? Yeah. But how, how do you do that in a third of our country that has no treaty that recognizes the First Nations communities that are there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's the real question and we have to ask ourselves is, how does a person in the East um, establish their claim to Métis identity when they're looking to try to... to you know, talk about this historical Métis community when there's not a First Nations community in the East, in all of Quebec and the Maritimes that has a treaty. Yeah, yeah. So they're not recognized. Yeah. As having the valid valid ability to do all these court things, uh, you know, for consultation and the rest of it because they're not recognized to have any authority themselves. And that's the First Nations community. How's yeah. a Métis community supposed to prove that when the First Nations can't get there with the federal government and the provincial government? Exactly. I think the I think the Western provinces take it completely for granted how hostile of an environment as Quebec is towards First Nation sovereignty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean to 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 reiterate the fact: who did Quebec just elect as their their provincial government? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's and uh, so. Go ahead. No. And, and so, you know, that, I think that's the real problem here is that it is a, a disservice and a real disrespectful conversation, I find, that turns very hostile when we're talking about Métis identity because it solely is, uh, unfortunately, from, from a Western point of view, propped up by membership in these, these organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, uh, you know, membership in organizations that have a vested interest in making sure that there is no Eastern Métis. Um, and Because they, they see it as a competition. They see it as we're a business and those guys are, are potential competitors for any any money we might make, so we better shut them down. And we've seen that. They they actively tried to get the government to define Métis. By when, when Harper was in power, while Daniels was still being considered by the Supreme Court, but they wanted Harper to put in a law defining Métis as the uh, as the cartel does so that the Daniels case would be basically irrelevant at that point. And that failed. And you see them now signing these agreements with the, Mic- the, the Micmac out there. Well, I, I mean, that's, that's really easy to do when you're four prov- three provinces away. I mean, <laughs> it, it's just ridiculous. And, I mean, we've seen the problems of uh, that the First Nations out there. I can't remember the name of the First Nation that's trying to you know, get their membership back and running and the government kind of decided what to do. And, and it's just a big, big boondoggle out there as far as membership into a, into a First Nation out there is. And it, it's just, it all boils down to the effects of colonization. And when you talk to these nationalists or you listen to them speak, that has nothing to play into what they what they speak of. Um, the, the Métis just simply popped up in the, in Red River. That's the way it is. It was like magic. Um, just like uh, if there's unicorns and leprechauns, there's Métis just magically happening in Red River. And, uh, it, it's, it's just so hard for but me I, to but understand But I think that. it boils down to, it boils down to when you're talking about Métis, about really when you talk about identity, it really can be summed up in which our transcend is Métis isn't about a people, it's about a brand. Yeah. And this is about brand ownership. Oh, true. Brand ownership. Yeah. And the MNC wants to own that brand um, because it then 
it, it totally gains control uh, tooth and nail over that Section 35 rights. If, if they own that brand of Métis, that means Section 35 of the Constitution can then only apply to the Métis National Council. That's what this play is all about. Yeah, it's about owning the brand, the term, the definition of that word to only mean the Métis National Council, Métis membership. Therefore, Section 35 rights only belong to them. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I totally forgot that he actually had said that about branding the name. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, if there's a clue that's anywhere, I, that's if, one. <laughs> yeah, and I think if Métis people in Quebec wanted an honest fight in this, you know, dog in this fight, if they wanted to do that, that this is where this is going to be over is the definition of that term and who owns that term. Yeah, and I think that's what nationals this nationalistic argument really boils down to is. They believe Section 35 only applies to Red River Métis. Everybody else is an imposter and fraudulent and trying to strip them of the, what, what Justin Trudeau says is a full box of goods in that Section 35. Yeah. <laughs> I, I still I just can't get over the Jesus. He's the answer to our prayers. Um, <laughs> but I, I think you're right. And I, and I think, uh, you know, the end, at the end of the day, I always I kind of sit here and I think, when I read some of the things that they say and, and the way they attack, blatantly attack First Nations people who dare say anything that is against their opinion as though they know more than any First Nation person about Indigenous identity or um, anything like that, I, I just can't help but sit here and, and wonder, is this really and truly the vision that Riel had and Dumont and all those guys that, that shed blood for Métis people, is it really the vision they had to have these segregated, siloed, nonprofit corporations that are providing a minimum amount of programs and services, fighting other Métis vehemently about who is and who's not, and bowing down to whatever the governments of the day say? And I, I just, I have a hard time believing that this was their their long term vision, and. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just my my feeling. Is I don't. I just don't see how they would see this as like, yeah, we really won. <laughs> well, and and even more to the point for me, where I think this revisionism crescendos is in the conversation that it wasn't Métis alone who fought Abitosh. Yeah, it, it wasn't the Métis alone who fought at Red River. Yeah, and yet. You look at the the reality of the situation. It, it wasn't just Métis people who suffered the fallout of, of Batoche. And Absolutely. Yet, and yet, that's the conversation that goes on. Only in Métis circles is that the land of Batoche, the land at Red River, is singularly Métis. Yes. But it, it wasn't singularly Métis when when Riel fought for it and when he died for it. Mm-hmm. And yet. And yet the, the, the Métis nationalists and this Métis pride issue has so been twisted out of context and so colonized in its conversation that instead of finding homogenous balance with Métis people and our First Nations cousins, as was envisioned by Rialbi, which is why they fought together and died together, that we have now Métis people superimposing themselves over top of First Nations and negating and, and trying to silence First Nations voices. I think that is a travesty that has we haven't seen the full effect come into play yet. Absolutely. And I mean, to anybody out there who I and I I think this is probably maybe my last point is just that for those out there who aren't really sure and they think that these nationalists talk a good game, really just look at how they interact with other indigenous people who disagree with them. Disagreeing, uh, you know, I have a different opinion of things than a lot of people. That doesn't mean that everybody has to bow down to me, and if they don't, they're all idiots. Um, And so that's one of the things I've noticed, especially on their social media, is that when someone disagrees with them, it is a mob-style attack. There's, you know, five or six or, or upwards to ten of them that will just go, you know, all out to block and ban and disparage and and ridicule and and you know try to defame anybody who dare speak against me. I'm a published academic, peer reviewed, 
And and the bottom line is is if you look at the way they treat people and you think that is how, you know, indigenous people really treat each other, I, I think that should explain it all for you. Um disagreements are okay, but the way they treat people is not. And so for me that's that's the the best example of how they are riding a very thin uh, sword is that how vehemently and aggressively and, and really violently they attack people for daring to speak against them. And kind of shows you the, 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 that they're building a house on cards. Well, we live in a society when we are talking, especially a lot of university stuff where might makes right. And uh, yep. it, it's the amount of letters and accreditations and research that you can do and books you can write that makes your opinion valid. It's not at the not the position you hold in the community anymore. It's mm-hmm. not the eldership. It's not the esteem that you have in your home community that matters anymore uh, or gives your opinion credence. It's the colonial paperwork you have behind your name, the doctorate research and the books you write that gives you credence. And um, I guess the authority at the end of the day um, that I see on social media is what gives people the authority to then marginalize without context other people's uh, positions and their own Indigenous identity. And I, for one, don't feel I would ever have the right to tell someone they are or aren't Métis or Indigenous based on their paperwork. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, and I think uh, that's a really good note to uh, ride off into the sunset for another week on. Uh into the sunset. Absolutely. So uh, if you guys enjoyed the show, uh, you can head over to our Patreon page. The link is in the description. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to watch this APTN special, but I don't know if I will. But uh, if you guys have any comments about the show or anything like that or feedback, uh, feel free to let us know at metepodcast at gmail.com. Any final thoughts, Jason? No, I just hope everybody goes out and be a better ancestor than I'm seeing on Twitter today. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just go spread some love and be kind to each other out there. And uh, I hope you guys have a great week. Until then, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire that ignites in our hearts and creates light. <laughs>